This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm going to get a the Skate Pod on WEI. Welcome into episode 108 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And Scott, I'll throw it to you quickly. Um, captain's practices have begun over at Warrior. Let me let me know what I what I missed down there, Scott. What are some key takeaways? Yeah, so Bruins actually on the ice. Um, not the entire team. David Pasternak, David Krejci are not back from Europe yet. They will be by the time training camp starts, or at least they're expected to be. Uh, Taylor Hall, not in just yet either. Um, obviously, Kevin's practices are optional, but most of the teams there, uh, Jake DeBrusque will, and Oscar Steen were not there the first day on Monday. They were there on Tuesday. And, you know, look, on the ice, obviously, there's there's not much you can glean from captain's practices, but We've gotten to go in the locker room and talk to a few players. And we got to talk to DeBrusque on Tuesday. And it was it was the first time that he's talked to reporters since he rescinded his trade request, which that news broke back in July. And, you know, at that time, it was only it was a few weeks after Cassie had been fired and only a couple of days after they officially hired Montgomery. Uh, you know, so DeBrusque was asked about it and basically said that, um, he was leaning towards rescinding it at the end of last year anyways, because obviously last season did end pretty positively for him individually playing on the top line and having a good second half of the season. Um, he said, I think the biggest thing, honestly, was the support I got from the guys in this room last year. I think that was one thing where it felt like a lot of stuff was kind of coming my way for obvious reasons. And the guys in this room really kind of kept it tight and kept it as one. Um, he was later asked directly, did the coaching change, was that a factor in your decision to rescind the trade request? And he gave, uh, I don't know how to describe this answer, but he didn't it's confirm a, or deny it. And he really it's didn't. A, it's a non-answer. It was, yeah, it was really like a classic. Much of anything. Scott and I were talking about this before, before we started. It was like, it's the classic non-answer by someone who's not a politician that like doesn't really know how to give a non-answer. They're just trying to not say the wrong thing completely. So he obviously wasn't going to throw 
Bruce Cassidy under the bus and he kind of tried to, to dance around it without answering the question. Um, he he kind of laughed and, and was like, uh, it's been speculated enough. Uh, your job is in the media is to ask those kinds of questions. I'm just looking forward to this year and not having to answer those questions anymore. Basically like, let's stop talking about this. So um, he didn't really say no. He, which means it's like, okay, it definitely was a factor. There was a lot of speculation based off of, um, you know, all the information that we had and just what you could see with your eyes about their, how they interacted and um, just that there wasn't the greatest uh, connection between those two. So I think he's just trying to be like, hey guys, this season, we're not going to talk about it because he's not here. So this is great. So um, without saying he's excited that, Cassidy is gone. He's excited Cassidy is gone. Yeah, and you know, I think like what I've heard all along and, I, and I've said on here before is like butting heads with Cassidy, their relationship, it wasn't the only reason for the trade request. There was also you know, he I think had legitimate questions about like where his place was and the Bruins long-term plans because Marshan still had several years left. Taylor Hall was signed to a four-year deal, and it was like, okay, so is third-line left wing the best like I'm ever going to be able to climb in this lineup? And obviously that changed once he switched over to the right wing and got, got to move up in the lineup, had a good finish of the season, and now is set to start this year in the same spot on, you know, Patrice Bergeron's right wing. Um, but yeah, obviously the relationship with Cassidy was a factor, and I don't think that the timing's a coincidence because if he was if he was leaning that way at the end of the season and you know decided within a week or whatever, like his agent could have leaked that to anyone at any time. Um, you know the fact that it didn't come until after the coaching change. It's like yeah, like I'm sure you know at the very least it probably sealed it for him. Like even if he had been leaning that way, maybe this is a little doubt of like, well if they keep. Cassidy, do I really want to, you know, do that for another year? And then when they let him go, it becomes really easy to be like, okay, like now, like there's one big thing like I, I he doesn't have to deal with anymore. And, you know, as far as his non-answer today, it's on the one hand, like as a reporter, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, well, yes, there's been a lot of speculation, but like you can, you can like actually end that right now. You can just give a straight answer and then people don't have to speculate anymore. But I'm sure Although the problem of, is the problem is that the straight answer is not is a negative answer and it's he doesn't well, want to put that out there. Yeah, and I'm sure he doesn't want anyone thinking that, you know, that he like in any way tried to get Cassidy fired or like he knows that Bruce Cassidy is popular around here. Um and, and by the way, like I don't think he tried to get Cassidy. Like I don't think he went into anyone's office at the end of the season and, and said like fire Cassidy or trade me. Like I, I one, I don't think he has the power, the standing to do something like that. And two, I don't think he did that. Um, so, like, it's like, okay, you could say, you know, yeah, it's no it's no secret that, like, we clash. But at the same time, I would never try to get someone fired. Like, he could have said that. I think that would have been perfectly fine. But, um, well, I, can yeah, I, wh- I, whatever. Like, it's obviously it's all in the past now. And, it, it, you know, I, th- I think we all know, like, it was a factor, but... It, I guess it doesn't do anyone any good to like really dwell on it or or for him to, you know, whatever talk talk about it openly. Well, it, and I think like I can empathize with him like 
on the fact that he probably wasn't like actively trying to get anybody fired. Like I've had a situation with a boss that I did not get along with and I thought about quitting <laughs> and I was like, okay, this, like, I'm, I'm not going to continue to work here with this person. I, he never knew that I was thinking about quitting, but then when he put in his two weeks and I knew he was leaving, I was ecstatic. And I was like, this, I'm excited for a fresh start. And then after that, my next boss, I was excited to work with. So it kind of sounds like a similar situation where it's like, okay, I, it, things just started coming up, Jake DeBrusque, like things just went his way. He's better off without Cassidy. Um, he's excited for, he talked about a fresh start and he did actually kind of talk about um, what whether he would want to be here long-term in the situation that he's in now. And he said he, he signed for two years, um, but anybody would want to stay in Boston long-term. So he kind of kept himself in that. He's kind of seems like he's keeping himself in that picture of, you know, what's going to happen when the team loses Bergeron and Krejci. DeBrusque seems like he still wants to be part of that picture. I think the easiest question to ask for an answer is because one of the last things you said, Bridget, is is true. He did sign a two-year extension while Bruce Cassidy was still the coach. But I guess the simplest way to find out our answer as to why he rescinded the trade requ- trade request was is if Bruce Cassidy wasn't fired and he was the coach this year, would Jake DeBrusque still have that trade request out there? That's that's the simplest way to, to ask the question. I think, I mean, I think, I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think that... If Cassidy came back, um, I think more private than last year, I think his agent would still be telling Don, uh, I don't know, maybe if he can still move Jake, maybe do it. And that's even if he was still in the top six role on the right wing. Or maybe maybe he he had such a change of heart last year with the, with the opportunity to move up into the top six and on his off wing that um, he would have been able to grin and bear Bruce Cassidy for another two years at least. And maybe that's true too. I think it's impossible to say. I just think that it worked out the way he wanted it to. So he feels comfortable now, like for sending it and and talking about playing in Boston for at least the two years. So it's impossible to say. We don't really know what he was thinking, but I have, I I just know it made his decision a lot easier. I, I assume it made his decision a lot easier. He still may have, you know, decided to rescind it, but at the end of the day, he probably was going to take a longer time to do that if he wasn't um, if he wasn't seeing that he had a new coach to work under. So, yeah, I could I could see it just being more of the same of last year, where it's like whether you formally keep the request in or not. It's like Brian said; it's you know his agent kind of tells Sweeney like you know we'd still be open to a trade if you find something like you know maybe don't stop looking. Uh, but if nothing happens, he goes out and plays. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I think that the honest answer that like what DeBrus said that is honest is about the, the support of his teammates. Like, I think that was big last year. And I think that it helped keep him sort of in the fold and, and got him through, you know, that tougher start early in the year and allowed him to end up in a position where he was a key contributor down down the stretch. Like, it, I think, you know, had his teammates kind of, like, turned on him or he was, like, some sort of outcast, I don't know if we ever see him get going in the second half. I think he needed that. Um, 
so I could have seen that dynamic working again, where it's like his team, you know, Bergeron, Marsh, and whoever talks to him, and it's like, look, as long as you show up, work, do your job, you're one of us. Like, in, unless you're like not invested and you're checking out, like we we have your back. Um, so, but you know, that's it sounds like not a, a great situation, right? Like you you want to know, you know, like, like you can make that work, but it's better to know like, all right, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. And, you know, I'm not looking to get out. I'm not, you know, stepping on eggshells, trying to make sure I don't say something wrong or, or, or make this worse than it already is. Like it's, you know, I'm sure for him, it's, it was definitely a relief to, to see the coaching change and to know that like none of that baggage was going to carry into another season. Yeah. And he, and it definitely, he made it clear in the scrum today that it, you know his his trade request had nothing to do with his teammates, that nothing to do with the city or the team he plays for. So to bring it full circle, we all know it was it was his relationship or lack thereof with Bruce with Bruce Cassidy. And as Bridget alluded to earlier, because they did fire Bruce Cassidy, the reality of DeBrusque's situation now is that. He doesn't. There, there are no longer the what ifs that I presented a minute ago. Like it, the coach is gone. Um, so, with that said, why would he, when asked the question today in the scrum, as much as Scott and others would love, a, you know, the answer to have been an outright yes? Why would he? He already had the, the situation was made easier for him with the firing of Bruce Cassidy. Why would he go out there and say, yeah, yeah, Bruce is why I. Uh, Bruce's firing is why I rescinded my trade request. Of course, he's not going to say that. And he knows that we all know that is the reason, but he's not going to come up and say it because it's it's disrespectful to a guy who's gone and a guy who did. And it's a, a professional. It's the professional way to handle it, really. I know yeah. as much as you like you want to say, oh, we just want the answer. Like it is it is a professional way to handle it. So I like you can't knock him for that. And and I did I did think it was kind of smart for him to, to finish the way he did, which was like, I'm just looking forward to a year not having to answer those questions anymore. Kind of kind of just like nudging, nudging us like, yeah, we're, we're that's the last time I'm answering that pretty much. So and then and then, you know, we don't really need to talk about that too much anymore for him because it's it's not like how it followed him around last year. The, the trade request is is gone, which hung over his head the entirety of, of last season. And um, it's just it, it just seems like it's not going to he wants a fresh start. He maybe is going to benefit the most from a fresh start out of all of these guys. So but by the way, though, I, I do want to and look, I don't want to speak for Jake DeBrus because maybe he really does have a ton of disdain for Bruce Cassidy. But my bet is that their, their relationship, you know, wasn't great the last year and a half, whatever. But he probably looks at Bruce Cassidy and big picture is grateful for him. I mean, he he was his first head coach in the NHL. Jake DeBrus came into the Bruins as a rookie and had a top six role right away. If I'm not mistaken, I'm I'm pretty sure that that year in in 17 18, he came in as a rookie and was playing alongside David Krejci, and uh, it's tough to remember who the opening night lineup would have been back then on on Krejci's uh, right side. But regardless, it may have been David Backus. But regardless, um, I think it was yeah. I mean Bruce Cassidy he he gave he gave Jake DeBrusque two plus full seasons in a top six role before things kind of went south um, after COVID COVID struck. So. 
I and find it hard he, to once believe. Once again, last year put him put him in a position to succeed when he put him on the yeah, first line. Exactly. So I find I find it hard to believe that you know DeBrus doesn't have a ton of respect and admiration for Cassidy, but I just think that their relationship soured, and and both can be true. Do you think? And I'll I'll ask you this, Scott, because you are the and Bridget, you you are as well, but you guys are the ones that are in the media scrums. So I ask you, Jake DeBrusque said that he hopes that he doesn't have to answer the question anymore. Do you think this story is put to bed now that the season's getting underway? Do you think there will be some media members that will continue to persist on, on, on this question? I think it's kind of not an important story anymore. I think like it's something that's going to fade into the background unless like it, some somebody breaks news that you know players um you know maybe named maybe unnamed uh there's a report that players you know this player or that player said they don't want to play for Cassidy anymore other than that I feel like the story kind of just fades into the background as long as um it, it seems like the team's off to a good start you know it seems like the coaching situation is settling in I just don't see this as one of the main stories um to start the season so they seldom are they usually yeah, aren't the big I, stories. They're 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 the low hanging fruit though. For clicks. Yeah, I, I think it's probably dead. Again, unless like Bridges say, like unless like something comes out or someone breaks something. But you know, this was so I think like the last three times we've talked to DeBrusque, or you know, three of the last handful of times, he's mentioned like hoping he was done answering these questions. And I was like, the first time was I think at right after the trade deadline um, when he had signed the extension and didn't get traded. And I was like, well, okay, but like, we don't know if your trade request is still out there or not. Like, so it's as long as like, there's a chance that the the request is still out there, it's going to still be a question. Yeah, exactly. So it was smart to pull the request. End of the season. It was the same thing where, he said, you know, I'm going to take some time to think about it. It's like, okay, like that's perfectly fair. But like that still leaves open kind of the open-ended question of like, do you want out? So now that, you know, the, the request is rescinded, we know that it's on the record. Like now I don't really see, you know, a whole lot. Personally, you know, can't speak for all my media colleagues, but like I don't see any reason to, to keep asking them about it. No, me neither. Okay, story number two out of pr- captain's practices. What jumps to your to your mind, Scott and Bridget? Um, well, so the first day uh, we got to talk to Patrice Bergeron, Hamas Lindholm, and Pavel Zaka, and uh, specifically what jumped out to me was, you know, so obviously we got we asked Bergeron and, and Lindholm about um, getting to play for Montgomery and their early first impressions of him, and. Lindholm was was extremely positive. He, he said he seems like a great guy. It's going to be fun to work with him. Both him and I are new here, so it's going to be a fun journey. Um, you know, talked about how excited you know Montgomery has said publicly and has also made it clear to players like he wants defensemen to get more involved. He wants you know to be faster in transition, moving the puck quicker. Lindholm sounded excited about that, saying you know plays to his game. Uh, he said, you know, I think it's going to fit the way I want to play, so I'm super excited. And then Bergeron, you know, we know uh, tends to tends to give more diplomatic answers, so you, you have to read between the lines a little more, but it sounded like he was, you know, pretty excited, but like, you know, he called it fresh ideas. 
it's always good to have fresh ideas if I can say it that way, which I think was his way of trying to like, I don't want to bad mouth Bruce Cassidy. Like, you know, he, he didn't mention Cassidy's name or anything. So, um, but he says that and then he says, you know, you look at it from too close sometimes and you don't think about things to change and work on to get a different opinion and view on how the game should be played. I think it's always interesting. I find it great and exciting to be able to work on things and find ways to be better, both as a team, but also individually. Um, you know, it just not like, look, obviously they're going to say pretty positive things about the new coach. You know, I don't think I, like no one's going to be like, oh yeah, like our first conversation sucked. Like, I, I don't think we're going to see eye high. Like, you're not going to get that, but it, it, I did get the impression just from talking to them that like, you know, some fresh ideas, some, just like a new voice does seem like it's going to be welcomed. And I imagine that reflects, you know, a good chunk of the roster, if not the whole team. Um, obviously, you know, like I said, we've only talked to a handful of guys so far, but it, again, you know, no one's going to say Cassidy needed to go or we didn't like him or anything like that, but it just seems like they're, they're welcoming Montgomery and, and, new ideas and they're pretty open to, to what he has to bring. So let me ask you guys this question and Bridget, I'll start with you. Do you feel that the Bruins shortcomings in the last couple of playoffs have been due to, um, you know, uh, not having the appropriate style of play against their opponents? Or do you think it was a lack of personnel in the right areas? Um, I would say in terms of like the way that Cassidy maneuvered the lineup, I don't think there was much more he could have done with that. But in terms of style of play, they could have used a shakeup on the power play. I think it wasn't working the way it was. I think that they could have, you know, done something to to change that power play up. And I do think that um, the the personnel they do have on the back end do it does fit well with the system that Montgomery wants to implement with more movement back there. And you know. Teams tend to get better offensive opportunities when they do have those guys on the blue line um, moving their feet, getting shots through, um, being more involved in the offense. So, of course, they could have changed their style a little bit, but it does kind of feel like maybe it was more of a a health and personnel situation um, where obviously Grizzly wasn't completely 100%. um, And it just seemed like after the – top two lines, the third and the fourth line weren't giving you enough. I'm not sure that the third and the fourth line, it was the style of play that they were playing, but it just I maybe wasn't the right personnel to, to give you the depth that you needed. Okay. Scott, what about you? Um, I tend to think it was more about personnel than, than style of play. Uh, I just think these last couple of years in particular, they, they just weren't deep enough they you know we we've seen it like we saw the last two years they haven't gotten really anything from their third or fourth lines in terms of off in terms of offense um their blue line hasn't held up which again that's that that tough thing where it's like well is is that because there's something about the way you've built your blue line that's led to guys getting hurt or is it just bad luck and i think it's mostly bad luck but it's like okay but you know, you also weren't deep enough there to, to overcome it. Every every team has injuries in the playoffs or, you know, injuries going into the playoffs. Like the 
it's extremely rare for any team to get through, you know, an entire regular season and two months of playoffs without losing a key piece at some point, right? The Avs just won the Stanley Cup despite losing Samuel Girard in the playoffs, who was one of their top three defensemen all season long. Like, it, it happens. The, the Bruins, when they won the Cup, had to overcome losing Nathan Horton, one of their top forwards. Like, you know, you, you've you've got to have a deep enough team to, to be able to give yourself a shot. Um, so I think that's been a bigger problem in my mind is that they just – both the lack of, you know, call it like middle of the lineup talent, right? Like obviously the Bruins have the top end talent. No, no one's going to argue against that. But, you know, the second, third liners, the middle pair guys um, – and then the depth to to be able to to make meaningful contributions. I think that's where they've come up short. Uh, that isn't to completely excuse Cassidy. Like to Bridget's point, I think there are changes they can make. You know, the the power play against Carolina in particular was very frustrating to watch. If you're a fan, where it seemed like they just kept trying the same ways to enter the zone and kept getting broken up every time. And I was like, okay, well, how many times can you do that before you try? you know, a different way to get into the zone. Um, but, you know, Carolina was also the number one penalty kill in the NHL all year long. Like, they, they deserve some credit for that. It's not their numbers just tor- the Bruins' failings. They're, but the power play numbers in the second half of the season weren't that great either. So, like, obviously it was exacerbated against Carolina, but there were some other struggles that they were having with the power play even before that. Yeah, and I think we, we had – and, like, I did this, so I'll throw myself in here – like. We kind of chalked that up as like, well, they don't have Pasternak, so what do you expect? But maybe, you know, it probably wasn't as simple as he returns and the power play is fixed. Like, I think, to your point, like, I think they had probably gone in some bad habits during that time that they kind of let snowball, and then one guy was never going to be able to fix all of it in in the span of a short series. Regardless of who is or isn't on the ice for a power play, for whatever reason, injury or... You know, it, it doesn't really matter. No one player will ever fix anything because, yeah, because the Bruins, when Pashnak was out of the lineup, they they were looking for, they were waiting for things to happen. They were playing on their heels and looking for the the perfect play. You have to be assertive on the power play and open things up. And that's, I for the life of me, one of the greatest mysteries in the world is how for the last 13, 14 years. NHL penalty kills just have not <laughs> gone to Alex Ovechkin in his one-timer spot. I feel like the Capitals could do whatever they they could do nothing. He's always going to be open. It feels like the like when the Bruins are in the power play, like they all the opponents always know to cover Pashnak. But um, I digress. So back to the question I posed to you guys. In my experiences in the game, I feel like obviously you need coaching, you need structure, but. Hockey in particular is organized chaos, especially at the highest levels. Like you can have, you can have your set breakouts, you can have your set power plays, your penalty kills, your five on five face off, you know, formats and whatnot. But when the puck drops, the ice is very small when you're out there. It looks it, like when you're watching the, the game from a bird's eye view, it looks like these guys have a ton of time and space. But when you're out there and and you're at ice level, things happen quick. There's there's a lot of big bodies, not a lot of room, and it's kind of a, free, a free-for-all at times. And so my point in saying that is I feel like style of plays tend to be a little bit overrated. I think that ultimately when it comes to, it comes down to, you know, good players, great players make good plays and great plays. And 
they and they know they know how to adapt to the game around them. And the one thing I think the Bruins can benefit from stylistically is a more active high pressure forecheck in the offensive zone. I do feel like the Bruins, and it's not just the Bruins, it's the NHL nowadays. It's it's very wait for your opponents to make a mistake and capitalize. And I think that some of the better teams that also appear to be the quicker teams are those who make you make mistakes rather than trying to, you know, angle you into mistakes. And I think that the Bruins would do well to have a more aggressive forecheck with certain lines in certain situations. I think that'll help offense. I mean, I don't think it's a lack of them not being able to cycle the puck. Obviously, not getting shots from the point has been a thing we've talked about with the Bruins, and that's one thing Jim Montgomery has addressed. But aside from that, I think it falls on personnel more so than anything else. And in my opinion, that's what's been lacking from the Bruins compared to the top contenders the last few years. In addition to what Scott spoke about with um, they haven't won the war of attrition uh, the last handful of years in the playoffs. Like They've had some tough luck. So you definitely need luck and health on your side. But beyond that, I think it's more about um, personnel. And I only ask you guys that question because Scott led with Bergeron mentioning it's a nice change of pace or it could be a change of, you know, good change of, of direction stylistically. And while that may be true, that's not going to solve whatever their weaknesses were last year. I think improved personnel is going to solve that uh, in sh- some way, shape or form. So that's my two cents. Yeah, and I guess you can, I would say I consider even though he was added last year, Lindholm as, you know, a step up, like adding adding better personnel. Zaka, hopefully, um, if he pans out the way they think he's going to, and bringing Krejci back. So that's three different places you can see um, an improvement in personnel. At least you have other pieces that you're able to work with um, in terms of that. I think maybe just maybe a better way to – to talk about it or think about it isn't like a stylistic change, but maybe just like an emphasis on certain things more than other things to, to work on, um, including maybe they could benefit from more emphasis on the transition game when they're, when they're practicing, when they're, um, you know, trying to figure out ways to crack into the offensive zone. Uh, I don't mind them putting an extra emphasis on that, or I think that could benefit them a lot and putting extra emphasis on, um, you know, puck handling and puck movement with a defenseman, um, how to get the defenseman involved in the offense, just an emphasis on that more, not that because it's not that Cassidy didn't emphasize those things, but it's going to be more of like just constantly repeating, Hey, remember, this is, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to always do it. Like we're going to always make sure we have this movement or we're going to, you know what I mean? So it's just more of an emphasis because Cassidy's style of coaching wasn't like a stay at home defense, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that they're not so stylistically different, but the emphasis will, um, it'll be about where the emphasis is. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, we're not going to see the Bruins go out this year and like be playing run and gun wide open hockey. Like that's one Don Sweeney told us that earlier this summer, like right after the season that he wasn't, going to be willing to like completely sacrifice defense and Jim Montgomery isn't that kind of coach either like his teams go back both at Denver and in Dallas were good defensive teams so that's that's important to him too like that they're still going to have that defensive structure and there might be you know some tweaks to it in terms of how they're playing defense and uh you know their new the new D coach John Gruden uh who's replacing um 
Oh my god, why did Kevin I just Dean? blank on? Yeah, Kevin Dean. Um, uh, like obviously he's going to put his touches on it as well. And you know, you look where he came from. The Islanders, a, a good defensive team under Barry Trotz. So the defense is still going to be solid, and that's still going to be the foundation of the team. Um, but it, to Bridges' point, like it, if it's just some tweaks here and there, just to get a little more offense, just get the D a little more involved, uh, get guys to the net a little more. Like that, that, that might be all that they really need. Like, you know, I don't think, I know maybe, you know, some fans who are super negative might disagree, but like, I don't think they needed some sort of complete overhaul. Like, you know, they didn't, it didn't need to be a 180 from what they were doing. What they were doing was pretty successful, just not, successful enough to get them over the hump to get them always you know to winning the cup um you know so we'll see but uh it does seem like guys are pretty excited like it does seem like guys think you know they're gonna have a little bit more freedom under montgomery and, and play at a little quicker pace and that i think that'll be a good thing I do think it, to add to that, another thing that it seems like they're excited about with Montgomery is that they, they kind of feel maybe a little bit more like they can dictate their own future, whereas they they didn't know what Cassidy was going to try to do with the lineup at certain points in the season, especially if we're talking about Jake DeBrusque. But, like, I feel like a few of the new guys uh, and, you know, e- even guys who kind of have had their place solidified for, for a long a while um just feel a little bit of extra freedom and a little bit of extra agency where it's like okay i can determine um my future a little bit more not it, it just it just has that vibe to it that um they feel like that's part of the fresh start for them scott being in attendance at the initial captain's practices i'm going to ask something that listeners are probably wondering is how do some of the prospects look in, in, in the new guys? Like how, how does how does Pavel Zaka look out there? How does Lysel? How does Beecher? Any other prospects that maybe were out there that we weren't uh, aware of? Um, so prospects aren't out there yet. Or Well, a couple have been on the ice. Like Mark McLaughlin was on the ice. But uh, so prospects Danica was camp, there. What was that? Danica was there. Yeah. Um, so prospects camp officially starts Wednesday. So a lot of them will be on the ice Wednesday, and then they head to Buffalo for the uh, that the prospects challenge or rookie challenge, whatever they call it. Um, which I don't know if any of that's getting streamed. So it usually does. Uh, I, I, I know. I know. Last year, um, BuffaloSabers.com streamed it. Yeah, I know this. I know they streamed the, the Sabers games, but yeah, hopefully they they stream others. Um, but anyway, so that would be the big thing for the prospects coming up this weekend. And then, you know, everyone kind of makes their way back to Boston. I think the last captain's practice is Monday. And then they haven't officially announced yet, but I'm assuming uh, everyone will probably report for camp for the off-ice stuff Tuesday, get on the ice for the first day of camp Wednesday, a couple practices and first preseason games a, a week from the Saturday. Um, so, like I said, not not a whole lot you can tell from two captain's practices and and – like I said, like all the prospects haven't really been out there. It was like they did like a little bit of scrimmaging today, but it very clearly kind of just looked like um, very loose scrimmaging. Like there, there wasn't. It's kind of sloppy defense. It seemed like it was more just a chance, to kind of just get guys puck touches and you know chances to shoot off the rush and stuff. And 
wasn't like uh wasn't the tightest defense you'll see wasn't you know wasn't exactly guys like uh you know setting up offensive zone cycles and anything like that it was it was very loose and it was really just uh like i said i think it's just about right now it's just about guys kind of getting on the ice you know getting their feet wet getting some touches taking some shots and uh you know, and then probably getting a little more serious as the week goes on. So as yeah, and Ber- Bergeron oh, mentioned, he's been he's been around for about two weeks, but a, a lot of the guys are just getting back. So even when when the media did talk to DeBrusque, he hadn't had a chance yet to talk to Montgomery in person. So all of the communications um, had been over the phone and or te- like texts and calls. So some of these guys are still that are still not there or just getting there are in the next few days going to be getting their first chances to to some of them meet new teammates some of them you know talk to the coach um and different things like that so um like we mentioned Pasternak who is the one that's most anticipated still um is not at captain's practice yet and that is still one of the major stories and that is the story that will hang over the entire season if the (laughs) if the contract doesn't get done but um you know DeBrusque was asked, you know, did he know anything about about Pasternak? Did like he was asked about the deal? I forget what the exact question was, but um, it was about I forget if it was like, do you know if he's going to sign or something? It, it was um, basically like, did you know? Are you like, do you hope something gets done? You know, do you want to see him get locked up long term? Which yeah. is like obviously yes he does but yeah and he, and he so his answer was uh the only part of this answer the only reason i mention it is because obviously he said you know we we'd love for him to come back um we'd all love pasta to stay here i think he wants to is what debrus said so i don't know how much debrus knows but he did he did say that in his answer i think he wants to um stay here and sign here yeah and it was funny like you also said after that but but he hasn't returned my text in a little while. So I'm like, yeah, I, he's I, I like, I don't even his, know if we're friends. I think he's got his check phone. <laughs> yeah, which I want to emphasize, he was uh, he was kidding. joking he when was he kidding. said that. Like I saw like a couple people like tweeted that out, and people were like, oh my god, like, is Pasta really ghosting him? And it's like, settle down, people. Like, it, was, it was a <laughs> yeah. joke. It's okay. He was kidding. He was kidding. But yeah, no, he he did say he thinks Pasta wants to stay, whether or not like. It, I mean, obviously, Pasta could say, oh, yeah, I want to stay in Boston. I don't know if you can read anything into what DeBrus said, whether or not he knows, like, that's that's a positive sign or, or whatnot. But everyone is still patiently awaiting Boston Huck's arrival to captain's practice and camp. The uh, I mean, a couple a couple of pros for Bruins fans who may be nervous about Pashnak, um resigning in Boston is that he he loves the city. It's the only organization he knows playing for. Uh, it's his best friends in the locker room, and the Bruins would be. I would imagine they would be willing to pay uh, higher than any other potential suitors. And also, Scott, isn't there something where the Bruins, because he he plays for the Bruins and has played for the Bruins, that they could offer more? to him than other teams could is that is that a rule they can offer one year long so they can offer an eight-year deal okay any other team can only offer that that's what that was so the bruins have all that going for them in addition because of the way the nhl is nowadays and how competitive it is and 
you got a you got a hard salary cap and it's built for parity it's very difficult for another team to to promise 8 years of you know relevancy to Pasternak a couple of, you know teams can probably promise the next handful you know 2 3 4 years this our team's going to be pretty good cuz we have x y and z centers up the middle Boston can't say that right now but my point is it's it, the whole grass is always greener on the other side is going to be more difficult for a team to pitch to Pasternak nowadays than it would have been say 10 15 20 years ago it's just the nature of the league now it's 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 much tougher to be to be a perennial contender year in and year out it just is so something's really going to have to go wrong i feel like for Pasternak to sign elsewhere that's my opinion i could be wrong i hope i'm I hope i'm hope i'm not wrong um but in any event uh that was my i guess response to to the brusque's comments on passion act i think everybody wants him to stay i think he wants to stay so i, I would imagine that they'll get something done at some point hopefully yeah and you know as we've said before like those discussions will really happen in person once boss aren't back so that'll be during training camp preseason. you know once once he's back at warrior the you know him sweeney his agent they'll sit down and talk and um yeah I, I don't think there's no question like he likes he likes his teammates he likes the city and the Bruins will make a fair offer they're not gonna lowball him so you know if the that report that you know he needs to be sold on the future like yeah you might have to convince him of that but it's that's it's not an easy sell right because we know you've got to replace those top two centers but it's not impossible either because it's like you know even if there's going to be you know a year or two step back or some at some point it's like for you're making him a foundational piece which he already is obviously but you're giving him that going forward you're you're telling him like look like it's you and McAvoy are the next Bergeron and Char, right? Like that that's the ideal scenario. Like you guys are gonna be the ones carrying, you know, leading the franchise. You're gonna be the faces. You're gonna be the ones the team is built around. And, you know, like like back when those guys signed, like there wasn't an entire, you know, championship core around them right away. Like you have to build that. So um I think there's at the very least, I think there's going to be interest from both sides, and it's just going to be a matter of you know whether Pasternak wants to commit before the season, or if he feels like he, you know, still has to see something, or or wants to wait, or or whatever it is. But um, I I certainly still lean towards a, a deal getting done. I'm put like uh, all along. I felt like it's going to be a very similar deal to McAvoy's in a very similar timeline, which would have him signing like just about right before the season opener. I can see it playing out almost the exact same way. I think another positive sign too is just the more we talk to the players, it's just reiterated over and over that their tightness is very genuine and it has such a strong effect on them that it has already kept the team competitive because without it, Krejci doesn't come back. Krejci lists the main reason why he wants to come back is because of the connection he has with his teammates. Um, DeBrus says the reason he rescinded his trade request was because of the tightness that he has with his teammates and how much he likes the guys. It just seems like that there's 
such a genuine, um, you know, connection between all these guys that they really do want to play with each other. Um, and it's, it, without, without that Krejci doesn't come back, maybe Bergeron retires. Like there, there's been times where you can see that that has already worked in the Bruins favor, that these guys are, you know, going to be lifelong friends and they just want to have fun and stay in the city and just play together as long as they can. So I do see that as another pro, um, you know, if you're looking at it, Oh, another reason, I guess that he could be swayed to stay jeremy suede i gotta by the way <laughs> if if Pashnak signs his extension right before the season opener i have a new nickname for scott mystic mac mystic scotty mac tell him tell him the future over here but i think it's a pretty wise bet i think something will get done did you guys have any other takeaways um for this episode from captain's practices or other um so we we got to talk to pavel zaka as well and while you know Bridget mentioned earlier like Bergeron's been around for the last couple of weeks Zach has been one of the guys there with him he's been working out with him and obviously uh Jim Montgomery revealed on Gresham Keefe at at the Jimmy Fund Radio Telethon that his initial plan is to have Zach play with Bergeron uh and get that first crack at Marshan's usual spot and so it sounds like Zach has been picking his brain. He said they've had some one-on-one conversations. Uh, he talked about, you know, one of the biggest things he wants to do is he wants to shoot more. Um, he already had that as a goal and was looking at video of last season uh, to, you know, figure out situations where he probably should have shot. And and he said Bergeron wants him to shoot more. And, and Bergeron talked about that as well, that, you know, look, like if you're going to play in that role – you're going to get good chances and, and you better be ready to pull the trigger. Like, you know, I think that's key. Like, you know, not to say that Bergeron can't work with like a pass first wing. Cause I think Bergeron can work with anyone, but it's clear that they, they see this as part of Zaka unlocking some of that offensive potential that he hasn't quite reached in New Jersey. And, and, you know, if you go back to like scouting reports when he got drafted, one of the things that all of them highlight as one of his biggest strengths was a, was a shot. And yet, I, I was looking this up, before last season, he never had more than 112 shots on goal and, shots on goal in a season. Uh, last year, it jumped to 148, but that's still it was still just over two per game. And uh, so I have an article like that dives more into this, but basically a lot of those came on the power play because New Jersey's power play was designed to get him one-timers. At five on five, he was only ninth among Devils forwards in shots per 60 minutes, which is like, okay, if he has a good enough shot that you're designing the power play to get him shots, like, don't you also want him to be one of your top shooters at five on five? And the answer is yes. I'm sure New Jersey would say the same thing. And it's clear that the Bruins want him to shoot more. He does have a good shot. His career shooting percentage is above league average. Um so it seems like it's, uh, you know, he, I think he's a pass-first guy by nature, and we, we've seen this with other players. You know, like David Krejci, I think, has always had a good shot that even during his best years, it felt like he didn't use it enough. Um, so I think they're going to try to try to get – he's never going to be a shoot-first guy. He's never going to have, you know, 250 shots on goal in a season. But I think it's clear that they want to get – get him into the mindset of shooting at least at least more than he has been. It's good for him that he's going to be 
part of a more dynamic offense than he's been playing with in New Jersey. And he did throw a little shade. Uh, he said when he was talking about playing with Bergeron, he was talking about like his work ethic and and having a guy that plays like that. And he's, he was saying uh, it's something I haven't seen that much in the last couple of seasons, meaning in New Jersey. So like it, it was a, a little, it felt a little bit like shade saying like, you know, this guy works harder than anyone that I've ever played with. And um, I, he's looking forward to playing with him obviously but but yeah it, it's true his situation in the past wasn't great uh in new jersey he's gonna have more with boston he's gonna have more opportunities than just one timers he i don't i you gotta imagine he's gonna be getting more than uh you know two shots per game uh hopefully if 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 all goes as planned especially when you move up to a top line where you got Bergeron, who's a, a, a great setup guy. So he should be able to, you know, visualize those opportunities and, and know exactly when to shoot when, when he gets the puck um, this season. He, he, he's going to have a better idea. And it's not just going to be one-timers. That's not, that's not a recipe for success if that's your only, you know, your, your only contribution. So he knows that. And he's in, I, I think he's in such a, a better position starting this season than he's been at any point when he was in New Jersey. And furthermore to the emphasizing to shoot first is that presumably when Marshan comes back to the lineup, he's going to move down to a line with Charlie Coyle, who has been emphasized by the Bruins coaching staff at nauseum in the past to shoot more. And when you account for Craig Smith being the other wing on that line, I think that maybe it's, while Coyle still should shoot more, it's probably not in his nature to be that, that, that shot first guy. So if you can, if you can drill it home with Zaka early on, shoot, 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 shoot. You already know Craig Smith is shoot, 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 shoot. I think that'll set that lineup better when they probably end up together at some point. I mean, anything can happen, right? Injuries or maybe Trent Frederick becomes a, uh, a much better player under Jim Montgomery offensively. I don't know, but that, that I think him incorporating a shot first mentality will help that first line originally. And when he moves down to the third line, Scott, don't, you, don't you're, forget grinning. About the Felina, you're grinning. The Felina sense. <laughs> the, I said, don't forget about the Felina sense. Yeah. Well, he's on the fountain of youth, according to Fluto Shinzawa. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how, how hey, Felino does. He's had a good summer. I, apparently. I, I, I hope I hope it's true because I think saying Felina Sans is kind of fun to say. So, well, look, it's it's he's a good guy, and it would help the team, right? If if he could contribute because they're paying him. So unless they can find a way to you know buy him out or something, you'd if he's gonna be on the team, he'd rather him obviously contribute. So hopefully he's found something. I had a question for you, uh, Scott, because I noticed that the Bruins. They they named uh, J D Greenway on the on the camp um, as a forward, and I know he was drafted as a defenseman by Toronto, and I know the Bruins traded for him. I really bring him up because I found that very in interesting because he has a very similar build to his brother Jordan Greenway, who played for BU and uh, is now a really really solid power forward for Minnesota. And clearly, they're cut from the same cloth, and they're brothers. No no mystery there, but the. That seems like a strategic move because we've heard Sweeney and Neely, or maybe just one of them in the past, probably both, mention how power forwards aren't easy to come by, and and they yearn for one. And this could be an opportunity. This could be them maybe trying to, 
find one out, find a diamond in the rough and switch a position. It's not the first time it's happened. I mean, Dustin Bufflin was a forward who went to play really strong on defense. So <clears throat> is there is there an opportunity for him? Maybe not, obviously, right away this year, but maybe in the next year or two. I, I want to, he's probably 24, right? So he's not like the youngest prospect in the world, but is is there potential there down the line to have a, a, a homegrown power forward? It looks like they're trying to build one out of nothing, maybe. Yeah, I think it's probably a little early to say that like he's going to have the potential to, to be that at the NHL level, but it it's certainly something that I think even when they first signed him, they brought up as a possibility. And then last year he did a little bit of both and got like a taste of, of being a forward. And it seems like the plan is now to like for him to be a full-time forward. Like it's, they're going to be done bouncing him around. So I think, I think the early stages of that experiment, it seems went well enough that they're saying, okay, that's, this is what we're going forward with. Like we're going to give this a, a longer run now and, and see what he does with it and right now i would still call it an experiment like it's still it's still going to be you know put him in providence and see what he does with it he's probably going to be a third or fourth liner in providence at least to start the season and you know you just you just you treat him even though as you mentioned like he is a little older and you know well removed from like draft age you just give him a chance and like you work to develop him because it is kind of like a you know switching positions like that it, it almost is like resetting development like there's so many new things that he has to learn and work on and get better at and the best way to do it is by just playing games um so there's certainly no rush and, and like i said i i would be surprised if we see him in boston this season but you give him a you know full year in providence and you see where he's at and then reevaluate next summer. Maybe he's in a position to, to make a push for, for a spot if everything goes well. But um, to your point, like, yeah, he physically does have a lot of similarities to his brother. And it's like, I don't know if, if you can even find, you know, 60 to 70% of that, like maybe that's a, a good fourth liner in the NHL. And to, there's no downside to it, like, right? Like it, you bring him in, see what he can do. And if it doesn't work and he never, you know, scores enough or never really adjusts well enough that, that he's going to stick there, then no harm, no foul. It's not like, you know, it's not like you're, you're ruining, you know, a top defense prospect by moving him around. Like he, he was kind of, you know, just, you just kind of found him, right? Like he, he'd obviously fallen out of favor in Toronto. It seemed like his development had run its course there. So, you, you know, you, 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 take the the physical uh traits that he has and see if he can make something out of it that toronto couldn't yeah and he's he's like he's six five he's you know 220 230 whatever he is and i would just reiterate to to the listeners like when you're trying to identify a little bit of grit for for an nhl roster and whether it's him or somebody else Look no further than Milan Lucic, right? Like, Lucic, when you're... Now, granted, Lucic ended up becoming a first-liner, so he's kind of the anomaly. But when you're trying to find somebody who is effective, that doesn't mean that they're going to be the smoothest skater or have the best of hands. I mean, his brother, Jordan Greenway, is doesn't have 
either of those at the highest level. He, but he's a, he he moves. He's a big body. He plays the body, and he's very effective out there. Lucic had one of the ugliest skating strides you'll ever see. And when he was stick handling, he was looked looked like he was chopping broccoli or dicing celery. But he ended up becoming a thirty goal scorer in the NHL and a prominent figure in a Stanley Cup winning team. I'm not saying JD Greenway is that. I'm just saying uh, when looking at a prospect, you have to look what what the role is that you want them to become at the NHL level, and it doesn't always have to be the prettiest uh, thing on ice for them to be uh, effective at what at what you want them to be. And clearly, the Bruins they need to. In- incorporate some a little bit of more I'll say skilled because of the the NHL that it is today but the skilled sandpaper but I thought it was I I, I my eyebrows raised when I saw that because I thought that was interesting and obviously knowing his brother being um, playing playing college hockey here in Boston and obviously making a name for himself in the NHL um, if he's anything like you like his brother like you said Scott then I think he could maybe um be somebody that maybe down the line Toronto will sit there and say, yeah, maybe he's something that we could have used in our historically kind of soft organization. But uh, that was a that was a that was a training camp uh, note of mine before it gets going here. But I don't know if, how much more you guys want to discuss, and we've been going for about an hour, so I'm personally all set. If you guys have anything else, you know, now's the time. Very last thing I'll mention: uh, Matt Porter of the Globe uh, today, Tuesday. Saw Zidane Chara on Guest Street hanging out. Um, does not appear he's working on a contract with the Bruins or anything. He's just in, in the areas visiting friends. Um, but found, found that interesting, and he's still around. He hasn't officially announced his retirement yet. So, you know, I, I don't expect the Bruins to sign him. I don't expect to see him out on the ice uh, in training camp next week or anything. But He's around, and, and he's not officially retired yet. And by the way, for people who don't know, Guest Street is the street that Warrior is on, so where Captain's Practice yes. was. Yeah, I guess I should have said that. Imagine if, uh, <laughs> imagine if like, next Captain's Practice, just, like, Fulton Reed and Dean Dean Portman and, and the Mighty Ducks <laughs> with the do-rags, like, Chara and Lucci just hop back on the ice, and they really are just bringing the whole <laughs> the whole team back. <laughs> really, It's really going to become one last dance, just bringing everybody back. But not nah, be sure Tuke is really done. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that'd be that'd be something. Bridget, did you have anything else? No, I'm good. All right, then we'll wrap it up there. Um, training camp begins officially when Scott? Uh, at, still nothing official yet, but okay. my guess is going to be uh, next Wednesday is going to be the okay. first day on the and ice. the and the rookie the rookie tournament against the Devils, Sabers, and uh, I think it's just. Those three, maybe. Uh, actually, I don't think they play the Sabres team. I think it's the. I forget, but yeah, whatever. Three teams. I think their games are Friday, Saturday, and Monday. I believe. The, of this weekend or the following. This, this coming week. Yeah. Okay. All right. So be on the lookout for that. I'm sure. The, I'm sure. Lysel and Beecher might be some names to that'll be playing in those tournaments and, and others. So give that a give that a watch. And thanks for listening. And we'll we will talk to you guys next episode.